Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast. Uh, I'm host one, Teresa, who brings the crazy story that I couldn't stop reading. And that over there, trying to act like an adult, is... Host number two, Angie, who just snorted when she called herself host number one. <laughs> we are now host one and two. Those are our names from now on. Yep. Imagine the Dr. Seuss font, matching t-shirts. Oh my gosh, like thing one and thing two. Yeah. I love that for us. That would be pretty awesome. I, I I'm gonna need I'm I'm gonna make some iron on transfers. Okay, so random aside, in high school, I was walking into a teacher's classroom with a friend of mine, and my teacher just looks back at me and goes, Oh, it's Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And <laughs> I look at him and I went, I'm D, and my friend responds with, I'm dumb. Wait. So well played. So well played. I mean, I admire that wit. It was just set and spike. Beautiful. I would have been the I'm dumb. (laughs) But it was great because she just announced it and then went, oh, no. Things have been said. (laughs) Things have been made. Help. Uh, Your oldest son had a trap shoot competition. Yes. Yes. So him and like, I don't know how many hundreds of kids were at this one. Usually there's about three to 500 kids, but I only stayed in my zone this time. So I didn't, I didn't see the vast array of of people (laughs) that are there, but did good. He had fun. Later we went to the mall and we rode on a T-Rex and a unicorn that were clearly made for children, but they let us pay. So if it fits, I sits. Pretty much. <laughs> we were sta- I just okay, I just have to tell you this because I thought it was so cute. We were standing in line for a pretzel mm-hmm. and there was like this little triceratops parked next to the pretzel stand. And Ethan was like, Okay, for those of you playing at home, my son is over six feet tall. So just bear that in mind. He's he looks down and he sees it and he goes, Mom, I need to ride this right now. And I'm like, but I'm, I think it's for children, like actual children, not adult sized children. And he goes, no, 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 I need, it has a saddle. I need to ride it right now. And I was like, okay, well you can ask the lady because there's a lady like standing at a little stand right there. And she's like, oh no, no, it just died here. You have to go down, down the way a little bit and you can pay down there. And I've never seen a child more filled with glee. (laughs) We, it was the funniest eight minutes of my life. (laughs) he referred to it as come on mom it's a mother-son bonding experience yeah that would that would goat me into it too like i would automatically be talked into it like that oh it wasn't hard i was already like fishing for my 20 dollar bill right like (laughs) my daughter her way to talk me into something is she will be incredibly nice and say please and you know but and she'll she'll use all of her nice words and i've joked with her to try to make it a game saying that oh that's my weakness i try to play like oh oh my weakness you're exploiting my weakness and so she'll be like mom i'll use your weakness on you would you please do it with me and it's just it's hilarious to have a child like admit i'm going to manipulate you in three ready two (laughs) Uh, yeah, my mine don't forewarn me the manipulation is coming. They uh, apologize for it afterwards. <laughs> you know, I feel like, like both um, are effective. 
super effective because they know what they're doing. They're like, oh, yeah, I I know it works. I'm Mm going to pull it off. And then I'm going to be like, wasn't that fun, mom? Right? I just wrote in memory for you when I move out of the house later. So when you cry, you can flip back through the photo albums and go, oh, wasn't that a great time? Remember when we rode on the tiny dinosaur at the mall in Stockton? You'd have some great memories in Stockton now that I'm saying that out loud. (laughs) At least something positive is happening in Stockton. For me, I've never had an unpositive experience there. I'm quite partial to Stockton. Okay, that's fair. There you go. I'll have to, I think I told you about it, but one day I'll have to tell you my adventure to a dive bar under the overpass in Stockton. I think you did in one of the previous episodes where you did it all dressed up and you were missing an opportunity to wear flannel. Yeah, I was. And cowboy boots. So today I'm going to wear flannel and probably not cowboy boots. You're slacking. I know. Well, because my feet are tired. Okay, that's fair. And mine aren't as broken in to be comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Like, I have a lot of really cool shoes. And with my knee currently trashed, it is like, you know how people say the once and future king? It's like my knee is currently and future trashed. Indeed. For like the next, I mean, we're talking no nice shoes for the next six months. You are going to be wearing middle-aged woman sensible shoes for the next six months. I mean, and I probably would have anyhow, but as soon as like it's prescribed, I suddenly yeah, don't want to. You're like, now I need the stilettos, people. Like, yeah. Get the, send them. Like if I had a medical professional say, no, you are required to not wear a bra. Suddenly that one horrific device would be the only thing I, I would want to sleep in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to take it off. Because yeah. listen, I don't know if you have this problem, but I have this problem. You know, you spend all of your all of your formative years being told you have to dress this way, like this this accoutrement is needed to be like a respectable member of society. And then you grow up and realize literally no one cares, right? I mean, I, I grew up and realized in the world of, of work from home, nobody sees below my collarbones. Right. And and even if they do, they legit don't care. So at least that's my experience. But on occasion, there are days where I'm like, wow, I just, it's like my emotional support bra. Like, <laughs> you just need, just need a little armor for the world today. But, okay. But there are some <laughs> that are comfortable and some that are, you know, um, yeah. okay, I'm part of the small itty bitty titty committee. And so like, for me, like, you know, there is a bra. with a straight face. <laughs> I mean, I can because it is so solemn it is just there is nothing it's just like you know what there's there's nothing there to hang some pride on and so for me it's just like you know sometimes that extra padding is like you know what i am gonna lie to the world today come on bra today's the day girls yeah let's go do you want to tell me your story i would love to tell you my story because i have been so excited for this hit me with it so what do you know about the Dublin whiskey fire? Um, well, I know that if you're going to have whiskey in the streets, Dublin's the place to do it. Um, okay, so basically nothing, which is this is perfect. Yeah. This this works out yeah. for me. I okay. read a little article on it once, but I don't I don't have a ton of info. So, so this was one. I love of all the- of these words, though. 
I know. <laughs> this was suggested by someone on TikTok. Um, username is KC12 underscore 12 KC. So almost a palindrome. So I'm here for it. Uh, my sources are an episode of the Internet Says It's True podcast, which is an <laughs> incredible name. The Irish Times. The night. I think a... that's the article I read. Okay. The night a river of whiskey ran through the streets of Dublin. <laughs> the subheader is the 1875 Chamber Street fire claimed many victims. I won't finish the rest of that. Uh, by oh. Dean Ruxton. Oh, oh, oh God. I think. I... And then. Oh, I think I know. I, I really want to say the end of it. I'm not going to say it because what if I'm totally wrong? No, no, please, please. <laughs> Not by fire, but by alcohol poisoning. Yes. yes. And then... Um, because Irish. <laughs> and then an article on rare Irish stuff, the Great Whiskey Fire of Dublin, 1875. I'm going to need you to send me that link. Okay. So the fire killed 13 people, but none of them died to fire injuries, which is a great, great intro. In 1875, the Liberties is the oldest part of the inner city of Dublin that traces itself all the way back to the Vikings. And I had to look up pictures and stuff. And they're just the, when you think of Ireland, if you're like me, you think, well, Ireland, Irish city. So Dublin, um, you know, those quaint brick stone buildings, you know, very yeah, cute. Yeah. Okay. It's that, that's, that's what you're thinking of. I would be very upset if it was anything but that. Right. Yeah. So there is a place called Lawrence Mahone, Malone's, not Mahone's, um, Lawrence Malone's Pub and Bonded Storehouse, where barrels of whiskeys from various distilleries were stored. And I'm I watching. What? Why? And why am I watching you have a visceral reaction to that? I thought you said bondage. You know, he's. It's a. It's an all-inclusive pub. You know, drinks on top. Can uh extras in the basement yeah hey you do you gotta make a dollar you 20 bucks is 20 bucks yes it is sorry carry on <laughs> so do you know what a whiskey bonder is because you do love your whiskeys i do not know what a whiskey bonder is i okay. can fathom a guess but i don't think i'd be anywhere close to right i wouldn't have been either before this but uh, okay so this place is a bonded storehouse and then there are whiskey bonders as well so this place was distilleries would bring all of their, you know, barrels of whiskey here and they would then be mixed from various barrels to get a blend. And, you okay. know, so a whiskey bonder would be the one who who creates those blends. Okay. okay. And so you so have these private labels. The whiskey. Yeah. Um, processing so, house. Exactly. Exactly. So Malone's storehouse contained 5,000 barrels of whiskey. Which, because I was like, okay, well, what is that? I was like, it's a half million liters. Okay, well, what is that? It's 132,000 gallons. Oh. Of whiskey? Of whiskey. He is the largest whiskey bonder in Dublin. Okay. Okay, so this is the top tier, or the largest tier. I shouldn't say the top, because it could be some small person who's like, yeah, but I only have, you know, 16-year-old aged, you know, I don't know. Whatever, yeah. Um, minor, minor aged in bourbon barrels that had that were lit on fire two hundred fifty years ago, and so I, it's got a nice charcoaly aftertaste. Yeah, 
Anyway, carry wow. On. So, okay. I'm going to hold <laughs> that thought because that, that could play into this. Um, so on the day of the fire at 4:35, somebody checks on the storehouse and everything seems to be good. It's be the, between then and 8:30 that the fire actually starts and nobody knows how, but by 9:30, the fire is rolling and there are barrels that are exploding open. It's a mixture of immature spirits, brandy, and wine that is flowing down the streets and burning with a blue flame as it runs. I have this image of immature ghosts. That's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. With a blue flame? You said with the a flame blue flame. Blue. With a blue flame. Holy cow. Okay. So the fire spreads quickly as flames reach wooden caskets holding the liquor and they burst open, sending burning Flaming rivers of whiskey flowing through the streets. Honestly, I would have loved to have been there. Gotcha. Okay, so imagine a stream that is two feet wide, six inches deep, and stretching for 400 meters down one side of Mill Street. It's $6 million in whiskey. Today's money? Today's money. Okay. I mean, really 2020 money. So I just assumed close enough. Close enough, yeah. So livestock is common in the city, even in inner city, which is an interesting thing for me. So there's squeals of fleeing pigs that add to the chaos as the and the tenements that rapidly empty of its residents. Amid the frightening bustle of crowds, they gather around the stream of alcohol, many for the inferno, and many for the whiskey. So this is just well before TikTok when nobody know what to do. And suddenly you just hear this ensuing chaos and you go down to see the good time because you want to be able to talk about it the next day at work. And you brought your mug with you just in case. It's funny because... you say that. <laughs> because a quote from the Irish Times, it stated that caps, porringers, and other vessels were in great requisition to scoop up the liquor as it flowed through the burn, uh, flowed through burning on the premises. That is such and, a beautiful way of saying, and everybody brought their cups. Do, and do you know what a porringer is? Is that the one with the uh, the like, little? It's it's got the little handle, like it's yeah, like yeah, the okay. little flat, and like the, and you. Yeah, you hold on to yeah. it. Yeah, okay. I because I had to look it up. I was like, what is that? I didn't know that's what it was called, but I kind of I kind of put it together that like, oh yeah, that would that makes sense that that's what that's called. Right. I just assumed it's a cup. Some fellows were observed taking off their boots and using them as drinking cups. Ew. So now you know, like the cups are the big beer steins that are in the shape of boots that you see from time to time. Now this checks is kind of the origin story for that. I don't like it. I don't either. <laughs> Because I know where my feet have been, so at least I have that going for me. But that doesn't mean I appreciate it. Okay, but then also if you think about it like this, that that flaming whiskey probably killed any gross thing in your shoe to begin with. I would hope so, because again, animals are roaming the... Like, pigs and cows are roaming the streets to the point where, you know, they're just letting their stuff fly. And now there's whiskey flowing over it. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Okay. So the result of all of this chaos, 
eight men were carried in a comatose state to Meath Hospital, 12 to Jervis Hospital, three to Stevens Hospital, and one young man to Mercer's Hospital. And even these numbers do not represent the entire of the person's, this is a crazy phrase, put whores to, or or to combat by the drink. The phrase, like that phrase or to combat is to put out of, to be put out of action. Cause I was just like, I'm sorry, like hors d'oeuvres <laughs> or to what? combat. I love it. I'm going to figure out how to work that into a sentence at least once a week. I can't come into work today, boss. Or to I'm or to combat. In be fact. like, Angie can't come in. She's apparently been drafted. That would have worked better than you telling me the other day to call in dead when I was already there. You should have just called in dead. <laughs> I was already there. <laughs> like I said, if you're already at work and you have to call in dead, that means the next step is going to be very crucial. You're going to have to really play it up. Real, real clever. <laughs> you're going to need to commit to this. You can't half-ass you, it if you're already there your calling it Your long game has to be on. <laughs> <laughs> when I got that message, I just walked back into my office, like, shaking my head and laughing, thinking, I'm going to have to figure out how to tell my boss I need to call it dead, <laughs> who would have loved every second of it and probably tried to help me. I mean, <laughs> there were times when I was pregnant where I called in, I was like, I can't come in today. And they're like, why? I was like, I'm overly pregnant today. You know, these are things. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And I was like, look, all of the pregnancy symptoms that I've got going on on a regular basis today, they're at a a level I haven't seen before. I I just can't. I can't do it. Um, My boss, my, my, before he, okay. So my, not my current boss, but whatever. Anyway, one of my most beloveds moved to Hawaii. But before I moved to Hawaii, he was always the boss that signed my like time off slips. And he would never sign them like a normal human being like, yes, I agree to this time off. He would sign it like sign under duress. <laughs> or um cuz she's like la- cuz she's lazy or uh, my favorite was I I called out one day. I I am almost never sick, but I was definitely like I was not not among the living that day. So when I got back and he was filling out my my form to go into the business office, he literally, all he drew for the reason why I was sick is a man puking. But was he wrong? No, he was absolutely right. It was very good artwork. But I thought to myself, these are like forms you turn into management to, to, <laughs> to account for your time off. At some point, an accountant is going to look at these and be like, what is wrong with these people? She works, or the accountant works there. They already know. Uh, well, the, the business manager, who is typically the one that manages those, does in fact already know. <laughs> but it still made me laugh every time because of how clever he was. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so sidebar. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I'm here for the interruptions. I really am. All in dead. <laughs> yeah, so those who were hors de combat... 13 are understood to have died from the fire. And as we said earlier, none of them died from smoke inhalation or in the blazes. Each succumbed to alcohol poisoning from drinking freely of this derelict whiskey. Among them 
was a man named That's Mr. Such Smith. a way to stick it to the man. Like, fine, I'll, I'll just lay here and drink it. I mean, yeah, you know, freely, like a horse from the stream. Yeah. So this man named Mr. McGrain describes how another dude named Mr. Smith dies. He says he describes how William drank from the flow near the comb, scooping it up with his cupped hands. He drank a great deal. What I drank was out of a jug. So automatically he's casting shade. (laughs) Nearly everyone was drinking it. Most of the alcohol was immature, unaged, pure alcohol. So you only need a real small amount. Yeah. None of this was meant like for like the gross majority was not meant for immediate consumption. Yeah. The deceased suddenly fell down and became insensible. Two men, strangers, helped me bring William part of the way home as far down as Meath Street. We then met some other men, neighbors, who helped him the rest of the way. William arrived home shortly before midnight and was brought to Richmond Hospital the next morning in a state of profound coma. He improved slightly. As opposed to unprofound. Mediocre. He's in mediocre coma. I mean, he's his half-assed coma. Didn't do anything right. Yeah, I mean, just really phoning it in on the way out. He called in dead. He improved slightly under treatment, even regaining consciousness at one point, but died Sunday night as a result of alcohol poisoning. Oh, that's unfortunate. Some of those hospitalized in the aftermath had a better fortune. In some cases, the patients were treated in the usual way and having recovered were discharged Saturday morning. Perhaps sadder, and it is hoped, wiser men, says the report. (laughs) Hundreds. Of police officers, soldiers, and firefighters were led by the first chief of the Dublin Fire Brigade, Captain James Robert Ingram, who attended the scene. So Captain Ingram, he gets on the scene within 15 minutes of the alarm being raised. And Ingram... On the day of the fire. On the day of the fire. Okay. Ingram had been an officer in the New York Fire Department. And when he re- he immediately realizes he can't use water on the blaze as it'll allow the whiskey to float on top and just cause it to spread further. Oh, okay. Which, very logical. I hadn't realized that that would be the case, but it seems like that would likely be what is happening. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought it through either. <laughs> so instead of using water, he sends for soldiers and orders them to put paving stones and pour a mixture of sand and gravel on the whiskey Okay. And then soon realizes that's not going to be enough as the whiskey starts seeping through the sand. Ooh. So now we're drinking filtered sand whiskey. Which I'd rather, considering it's been flowing through manure, which, surprise, surprise, is a great segue because he sends, like he thinks, horse manure. It's laying in heaps and depots all around the city, so he orders it be brought to the liberties by the cartload and shoveled into the streets where it had once come to form dams. And as the burning whiskey meets the damp manure, it is soaked up and the fire begins to subside, which is nuts because I was thinking, is it manure used to make bombs? But apparently it's got to be processed a little bit more. Or differently, maybe? Obviously. Because I thought for sure it would light on fire too. Hmm. So yeah, apparently... There's a good poop and a bad poop for a fire. Uh, I'll look into it. (laughs) I mean, I didn't think I would ever say that phrase, but here we are. 
Yep. The things we found ourselves saying. And then also a crazy thing to think about is it's during this time, because this is a public fire brigade, and this idea is under intense scrutiny because many people don't believe that the poor should be benefiting from firefighters if they're not paying into the same fund that supports them. That's infuriating. I mean, it is in hindsight, right? Because we're we're looking at it through retrospectively, you know, so we're thinking these uncultured swine, you know, just wanting the poor people to burn to death in their homes. And it's it's like, okay, because in America, you know, like the gangs in New York scene where they're rushing on the scene, you know, and and you know, with the rival firefighters. So in America, it was, you know, to have your home protected by fire. This was something Mike told me years ago. Um you had to have private fire insurance. And so the fire department would roll up and they'd like flip through their Rolodex and be like, oh no, not on my list. Do you have do you have any money? I've got the the equipment right here. I'm gonna either watch it burn or spread to a paying person's house. So they would extort oh, you for money Lord. on the scene. But in like England, this is one thing I had to look up. The fire was actually paid for by the homeowner's insurance. And so at okay. this point, things are switching to where it's more of a public utility. I shouldn't say utility, public service. And so it's it's more like, hey, if we prevent one home from being burned, it'll not spread to maybe the paying homes. And so maybe we don't have to have poor people burned to death in their own tenement. I would I would really hope for that. So that all is going on in the public domain. Like all of these things are happening in the political sphere. And then zooming out, the damage to the liberties is extensive. Of the 5,000 barrels of liquor, 61 were recovered. Some of them went missing under suspicious circumstances. The air quoted that, guys. Three casks were rolled into the comb, and and as a result, six men were arrested in a beastly state of intoxication. Several more were being conveyed to the hospital. So they actively found people going into the inferno to grab themselves a couple barrels. Well, I mean, if you see the opportunity, they're just going to claim it on insurance anyway. I, You know, you're not wrong. And it's better than the stuff in the street. Yeah, for sure. The freshly filtered even. For sh- gross. So in tightly packed tenement buildings like they had on Mill Street or Artie or Chamber, all of these others, they're destroyed. Along with nearby businesses, many families are displaced and members of Ingram's Fire Brigade were deployed as to prevent people from re-entering these charred ruins to seek shelter. So it's incredible when you think about all of the, the dwellings that were destroyed and how many people suffered and were impacted that the only deaths happened because of alcohol. It is when you when you think about like at least for me I don't know what the difference between like New York tenements and a Dublin tenement would be but how like sardine can packed they were yeah well you would you would think I I did say the only deaths and I shouldn't because a number of pigs were destroyed and the Irish Times also reported a case of canine suicide so in the aftermath of the fire to answer your puzzled face. On Tuesday night, a dog ran through the open door of the home of William Ear on Dominic Upper Street or Dominic Street Upper. The animal was foaming out the mouth and evidently either rabid or suffering from deuterium trimmings at the hands of the lapped up whiskey. 
The dog dashed madly about the house, knocking over furniture and attacking the homeowner. When Mr. Eyre fended off the dog using an iron bar, the animal ran upstairs and jumped from the top floor window and, quote, terminated its existence in the road below. I would like to think that was not his uh, initial plan. Yeah, apparently even dogs can be angry drunks. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's sad. It is very sad. And then... At the meeting in the mansion house following that, you know, that next Monday, the Lord Mayor, Peter Paul McSweeney, said it was amazing that the death toll wasn't even higher. The time given for escape in some places and the progress of the fire was so short, quote, I was apprehensive that some people should be left in danger in the garrets and cellars of the district. But on inquiry, I was happy to learn that no life was lost during the great conflagration. Oh, my God. I love that phrase. The Great Conflagration? Yeah. That is the... not at all what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I mean, what did you think I was going to say? Not that. That's good. anything but that. Like, I feel like most of the stories we share contain, I didn't see that phrase coming. Didn't, did not plan for that one. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. you're... The unhappy overdose deaths would probably have happened in any city... That was a ten- that had a tendency to indulge immoderately in drink, said the mayor. In the <laughs> present case, the unfortunate victims apparently could not restrain themselves, as I understand from the burning fluid. But there is like so that all, whole quote comes from the mayor, where he's like, "Look, this could have happened in any city. Everybody has, you know, this a, is a thing. Yeah. yeah, nobody died of fire. This could have been a way worse. Great job, guys. There is an incredible positive note to end on." So as we think about, I know it's like dogs committing suicide, people drinking manure whiskey, but the great news, the great news is this fire caused public sentiment to change on fire being a public service. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. So all it took was 138,000 gallons of flaming hot blue flamed whiskey. Yeah. You know, to to nearly to threaten to burn down the entire city. And suddenly they're like, you know, maybe letting firefighters help the poor is a great idea. Because if their their house is burned down, our houses will be next. Yeah. Like we kind of live next door. So maybe maybe prevent that. The unhappy the mayor goes on to say that the unhappy overdose deaths could have happened in any city where there was a tendency to indulge immoderately in drink. In the present case, immoderately in drink. I'm to drink. So much that you become blackout drunk from slurping it off of the cobble, the shit covered cobblestone. Okay, so you did say immoderately. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you're going to consume enough from that, that's immoderate. Yeah. Okay. I'm just that's, making sure I, that's I where the bar goes. The right phrase. That's fair. Okay. He said, in the present case. The unfortunate victims apparently could not restrain themselves, as I understand, from the burning fluid. I feel like you could restrain yourself. I mean, if fire, if it being literally on fire and like just singeing your facial hair. I'm going to say men, women, both with burning beards. And I'm not judging. I mean, I, I have to get rid of mine. Yeah, we're all we're 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 both. Yeah, I know. I know where mine are. <laughs> I can but, see mine now. 
one of the great things that happened, because I do want to, I did want to really end this on a positive note, as opposed to saying, well, it could have been worse. Um, <laughs> well, it could have, <laughs> I mean, it could have been so much worse, but like one of the best things is so public sentiment had been like the poor should just, just burn for being poor. Why should we, why should my money help the poor people? If they can't buy a firefighter, that's on them. But this, whole I hate co- that. I mean, I don't I don't disagree with you at all. It's it's very interesting to see how very little human nature has changed. I was um, just literally just thinking that. Yeah. Like people will people and there will be people through any time period who believe that being poor is a choice. Mhm. You know, and it's and like And it's it's very easy to get out of. Like well if you don't want to be poor then don't be poor. Look, like, I was well, I was born to parents with generational wealth and look at me, look how I turned out. You should just maybe be born to different people. Yeah. like Duh. But either way, either way, you know, off on that weird tangent, this whole thing <laughs> causes people to realize, gosh, when poor people's homes burn, they're really close to my home. And if the firefighters get it under control before it gets to my home, my home doesn't burn. So maybe, maybe protect the poor people. What a great idea. I mean, if nothing else, configure it in a way to where you benefit from poor people being protected, and then it makes sense. I mean, do what you got to do to make it work, right? Right. I mean, we all we all do that our own way. So, you know, the mental gymnastics. Yeah, the justifications. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Well, but- you know what, as long as it worked to get better fire services, in, especially in crowded areas like inner city Dublin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the that's the Great Whiskey Fire of eighteen seventy five. And there is there is actually a um a club of firefighters called like the eighteen seventy five whiskey club or something like that. But basically there's a group of Dublin firefighters who gather around and drink whiskey and their name comes from this event. I love that. That is amazing. One of my favorite things totally related to firefighters and and kind of related to this group is that living in a fire zone, we get to see firefighters from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And the amount of like camaraderie amongst firefighters is just is so much fun to watch. But getting to see like, I don't know if this is common knowledge, but they actually swap T-shirts with different units so that like they come in with their t-shirts so they can trade with a, someone from where they're visiting so they can take their shirt home and that's i think super that's cute. so much fun like i it's met, like friendship um, bracelets it, it yeah it absolutely is during the rim fire the um the the team that flew i can't think of the name of the plane but it's like the biggest air tanker like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They flew straight over from Israel and Whoa. they came into, uh, some of them came into my restaurant and they had on like, not a one of them had their actual unit shirt on. They were all wearing them from different parts of the world because they've been to different parts of the world and met up with local crews. And that's just how you exchange exchange pleasantries and things like you just swap jerseys. <laughs> I mean, that is really fantastic. And I love it. Part of me is kind of upset that Mike doesn't do fire anymore because like that just seems like a cool niche. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, I mean, he'd have to grow, like, the mustache because I don't think he can be a firefighter without the... Uh, well, he can't, he'd have, he has the mustache. He'd have to shave the beard because of the, you can't get the mask on. It won't seal tightly. And oh, yeah. having oxygen flow is, is kind important. of, yeah, people tend to, to really value being able to breathe inside a building where there is no air. Yeah. I mean, unless of course it's whiskey running through the streets, in which case you evidently don't have a fiscation problems and you have whiskey burning problems different problems right you know and you just need different tools for different problems <laughs> you can't have say. the same tool i was gonna say different tools different solutions right <laughs> like for some we need our, our pouring jurors for others we need you know a bpa manure okay bpa is better than manure look how <laughs> you choose to clean up and do things is on you like i zero judgments right we've all been there I will not be cleaning up with manure anytime soon. I can count on it. It's probably also because I don't have cartloads available to me. If you did, would you? Like, really, probably not. No, I really, I really wouldn't. With it? Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, trust me. We had to get rid of cartloads of manure when we moved into this house. In the backyard, okay. in the backyard. Yeah, I'm really glad you prefaced that because I remember you telling me that story, but I'm not so sure that the rest of the world knows that story. <laughs> it's all getting edited out anyhow. Let's be honest, right? Like, I'm <laughs> the one in charge of that great cut button. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so tell me your story. Do, do we have time to, to hear my story? I think so. So I'm trying okay. to think of when we started. I'm trying to think of all the different things I get we to cut. I we feel like it's seven, like seven ten. Yeah, and then we had probably about five ten minutes of stuff I'm cutting. Okay. So, I mean, could you do it? I think you could do it. Okay. My story is not terribly long, but it is. Right. Okay, so I would like to. <clears throat> My story I saw on an episode of. Finds at the museum, found at the museum, something like that. It's a it's a History Channel about a History Channel show that airs episodes specific to unique finds in museums around the world. I'm down for this. So, Behind the, the unique, glass, yeah, the unique find that happened to be on the other day was um, earned itself an entire uh, like a whole like half hour episode it's the story of lawn chair larry and his aeronautic adventure yes yes are you familiar with lawn chair larry lawn chair larry is the reason the darwin awards exist okay do you know the story of lawn chair larry i do i i haven't heard it in like forever right but like i obsessed over lawn chair larry when the darwin awards launched and because the darwin awards say you have to die in the pursuit. <laughs> the one who found, because you have to remove your genes from the gene pool and that's how you get a Darwin award. That makes sense. Okay. And so because Larry doesn't die, he only gets an honorable mention. <laughs> okay. Listen, here's the thing. I don't know how he survived, to be honest. Um, I mean, did, it's nuts. It's, it's bananas. So the back, the, the, here's the a little bit of the backstory. 
He's nine, ten years old. He goes to Disneyland with his family and he walks into a store and he sees like a bazillion balloons. And he immediately at like nine, ten years old is like, I want to fly. I want to fly with balloons. This is a thing that I need to do in my lifetime. But he's like nine or ten years old. Can I sidebar this? Yeah. So when I was three and a half, my little sister was born and I had little like I had a Winnie the Pooh episode on cassette that my dad had burned on a cassette you know back when you know that was what you did on VHS and I remember Winnie the Pooh tied a balloon to his arm and he Mm -hmm. flew up into the honey tree and I was already not impressed with having a squalling little sibling and so my (laughs) parents gave me a balloon like look we're giving you a a balloon yay And my mom walked into the room to see me tying it to this little maggot's arm. And I was getting <laughs> so frustrated. And I've, I've, I've talked to her about this since, but she didn't understand. I was, I was upset that, that she wouldn't rise out of the chair and float away. She thought right. that this, like I was sharing with my sibling and that Aww, my, she thought you were being nice. She thought I was being nice. And she <laughs> thought that maybe I was upset that, that the newborn didn't appreciate the balloon. And so she, oh, no, no, baby, don't tie it to the, to the newborn's hand. Like, let's, let's, you know, but I was just like, get it gone. Make it go. Away. I don't have enough balloons. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> Winnie the Pooh lied to me. I, I have concerns. um i can safely say uh, i'll have to ask ethan i do not believe he tried to tie any balloons to owen but he did have a whole stream of helium balloons once in the living room before owen was born so i think we're good on that (laughs) i love the image of a tiny you in in all of your fury trying to tie up your sister to float away oh winnie the pooh and then parents believing i was being super kind when really i was being nefarious oh my gosh was i <laughs> you were maniacal and i love you for it <laughs> three and a half year old, year old me was a monster like this was one of my earliest memories i love it my earliest memory is having a slurpy tea party with my dad so i you know, love that that sounds adorable that was it was he would have tea parties via slurpy we'd have the little cups and everything <laughs> okay but anyhow lawn chair larry anyway uh okay so a couple years go by so larry's like mm, toff's 13 he goes into an army surplus store and he sees the weather balloons and he thinks to himself yahtzee that's how you do it because the little balloons at disneyland i would need like 100 billion of them yeah and they're not but lifting guys, newborns so i need something a bit more right right because he had heard your story and he knew things were not working out that's what I get for right. complaining. I'm here to help. I'm educating the world. Exactly. Right. Um, so he decides that the best course of action for 11, 12, 13-year-old Larry is to, when he turns old enough, join the army and he's going to be a pilot. Only he doesn't have the eyesight for it. So they regulate him to being a cook. So, I mean, okay, maybe I'm not familiar with, with, you know, military, you know, jobs, but where is cook on the pilot, you know, scale? Is it just below? Does it, does it, is it, you know, like, does he have to be a, I'm being a smart ass. You don't get, you don't get aviators to be a cook. I know that much. You just, you, I think you also have to have a certain level of audacity. 
well, trust me, Larry's got the audacity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, he serves out his time in the military as a cook. Um, But in 1972, he meets his girlfriend, Carol, and he cannot stop thinking about wanting to fly. So he's he's in his early 20s at this point. He's served his time. He's been a cook. He's still dreaming of flying. I like how you link those two things. Like you meet a great girl. Oh, Carol, you know what you make me think of? You make me think of flying the hell away from you. It was definitely a solo mission for him, I think, in the end. But um, Carol did want to come with him. Uh, Bunked lawn chairs. <laughs> okay, so it's actually really cute. Um, in 1998, there is an article written in the New Yorker, which is the I meant I forgot to mention my sources, but the New Yorker has the author's name is George, and I'm going to get you his first name right now because I've all of a sudden just forgotten it. Him. Him, Pimpleton, George Pimpleton. Okay, okay. Okay, so he actually met Larry, and he met Larry's girlfriend in the early 90s, or like late 80s, early 90s. He yeah. published the article in 1998, but he met with Carol, and he asked her, like, what did you think? And Carol was basically like, well, I didn't really want him to do it, but if he was going to do it, I wanted to go with him. So George says something to the effect of like, oh, like sit in his lap in the like in the same lawn chair with him. And Carol's like, no, you silly. I wanted my own lawn chair, but it would have taken too much equipment. We wouldn't have been able to afford to do it and we couldn't get that much supplies. But in the long run, I believe Carol just wanted to go with him to be with him. Yeah. Um, but for him, he was going to go whether she went or not. So he, she's like, okay, but in the early 70s, she's like, I really don't think this is a great idea. It's really dangerous. Let's let's just put it on the back burner for just a little while. Like, just, just you know. So he's with her for, like, he thinks about it for, like, 10 years. In 1982, he finally decides, I cannot put it on the back burner anymore. And Carol's like, okay, I get it. Fine, whatever. So the initial plan is to take the stuff, and I'm going to tell you what all the stuff is here in just a second, into the Mojave Desert and set it up there. Only, there's no real way of transporting all of this stuff. So Larry just, like, springs it on her the night before. I'm going to use your backyard. We're going to launch from your backyard. And she's like, Larry, that's a terrible idea. He's like, no, no, no. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So, what he has purchased (laughs) for this itch he cannot scratch, roughly 45 weather balloons, a two-way radio, a compass, an altimeter, a flashlight, batteries, a road map of California, and a camera, uh, a med kit, a pocket knife, definitely brought some Coca-Cola, a sandwich, and a BB gun, and a parachute. I love all of this. I especially really appreciate the map part because honestly, if you're up high enough, the map makes sense. I think that's what he was thinking too, but that's probably the only amount like of sense from this whole story that's going <laughs> to gonna check out. So he tells Carol, this is just so funny to me. 
He brings the stuff to her house, and his initial plan is to stay tethered to the ground and just rise, just rise above. I think there's some speculation that his plan was to be untethered at some point and just hover kind of around 30 to 100 feet and just kind of explore and float out into the desert and land away from humanity so that he wasn't going to cause any problems for, you know, like traffic and things like that. But that is not what happens because you didn't install a steering wheel on your Sears and Roebuck lawn chair. You know, the aluminum well, It just one. doesn't come standard, you know? Like, I, no, I still cannot get a, a steering wheel on my lawn chair. I know. It's it's devastating, really, when you think about it. Um, he, I'm trying to, he, he had a really great quote about his lawn chair. Um, and I'm going to pull it up right now because it, it made me laugh so hard. It was an ordinary lawn chair. Waffle iron webbing in the seat, tubular aluminum armrest, darn sturdy little chair, cost me $109. In fact, afterward, my mother went out and bought two of them. They were on sale. Yes. <laughs> so, just, just to help round up these delightful little things about the, his interview with George, George asks, um, like, you know, where did your idea come from? And Larry says, well, I was always fascinated by balloons. When I was eight or nine, I went to Disneyland. You know, he, he tells them that story. Yep. And then, and then he says, by the time he gets to high school, I was experimenting with hydrogen gas, making my own hydrogen generators and inflating little balloons. George, the interviewer, asks, well, what did you do with the balloons? I sent them up with notes I'd written attached. None of them ever came back. At Hollywood High School, I did a science project on hydrogen and balloons. I got a D on it. Oh. When <laughs> nobody likes your special interest. Right? And then George goes on to say, well, how did your family react to all of this? And he said, my mother was worried a lot, especially when I was making rocket fuel. It was always blowing up on me or catching fire. It's a good thing I never really got into rocketry or I'd probably shot myself off somewhere. You know, his poor mother, I bet her, her only, you know, I bet she grew up just or raised him thinking, please, I don't, I don't just, care if you're smart. Just live, just breathe, just, just graduate high school breathing. Yes, I'm certain of that. So he gathers all the things, right? He's got his tubular aluminum lawn chair with his waffle weaving thing. His, well, I mean, uh, yeah, the woven seat. Yeah. yeah, the woven seat. I'm going to send you a picture of it because it's delightful. He attaches several gallons of water as, to use as a ballast for balance. Mm -hmm. um, and then these 40... I think it was about 42 weather balloons that eventually go up with him. Um, at one point, the local authorities, I guess, they started blowing up the, the, the balloons in the evening so as to not, like, inspire people to come look at what they're doing during the day. They don't want to attract a lot of attention. Right. They, they want to... They want to They're fly trying under the radar. To be exactly. And Literally fly under the radar. <laughs> yeah, that, that phrase comes back to bite him later. Sure does. Um, so his theory, his idea is if he is asked what's going on, he is building um a set piece or something for a commercial. And so like nobody really bothers him. 
But by the point that everything's inflated, they are like massive. They're like a hundred feet. They're huge, right? Mm-hmm. So the next morning, he gets ready to get in his lawn chair. He's got his packed lunch. He's got his his BB gun and his his Coca Cola. And then the launch is delayed by forty five minutes because his friend decides that what if you land in the ocean? You need a life jacket. We all need friends like that. Right. So his friend runs down to the store and picks him up a life jacket, brings it back, puts it on lawn chair Larry. Larry suits up. He gets in the lawn chair. The lawn chair starts to lift. He he says that it was tethered to his friend 62 Bonneville. Wait, can Another I, can source. I, can I just interrupt real quick and say there's a lot of brand placement. Like we've said Coca-Cola a couple of times in this. We said because... these Sears and Roebuck chairs these were all very important to larry like coca-cola was as important to larry as pepsi is to me either and way i can, though, I can like, be on board i i feel like this should have had several sponsored by sponsorships yeah yes in the end it should have <laughs> because i'm sure everyone's like you um, know i have crazy out of the sty dreams i need a coca-cola or like after the fact, does Sears go out and like rebrand their lawn chair as sturdy enough to take flight? Like, or do they at least capitalize on it by putting a lawn chair on display with a bunch of balloons? Exactly. So he he sits in his chair, it starts to rise, and then the tether snaps. He is now free floating above San Pedro, California, in the Long Beach area. He goes up a couple hundred feet. And I'm just going to tell you, he did not math this out. Because eventually, he enters federal airspace. (laughs) And he has now made it. He is having a great time, by the way, up to this point. He is looking at the view. Carol is literally panicking because now he is only supposed to have gone max 100 feet. And now now he's a dot. He is now over a thousand feet, over five thousand feet. His highest altitude reached was sixteen thousand feet, and the air's got to get a bit thin up there, <laughs> just a bit. So Carol is down on the the two way radio, and she is freaking out. She's like, "Please come down! Start shooting those balloons! You need to come down." He says, "Quote: I wasn't going to hassle with her." Because no way in heck, you know, after all this, my life, the money, we'd sunk into this thing and just come down. No way. I was going to have a good time. So he just turns off his radio. Can I just say that it's bizarre that it was Coca-Cola and not, you know, several cases of Natty Light. This feels like something you start. A Natty Light story. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Um, I did get to use the inflation tool. So because he he met, made the mention of the amount of money we sunk into this, I needed to know. Are you ready? Yes. In 1982, it was about $4,000. Using the inflation tool, we have roughly 1200 excuse me, $12,521.60. I feel like if I spent 4000 today, that would still be enough sunk cost. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yes. So he turns off his radio. He's having a great time. But then he realizes he is way too high and he starts to get a little nervous. And Is he nervous and, or is it is it well it, like oxygen deprivation? 
So I'm going to read you a quote before the oxygen hits, because that never really happens, but he does get nervous. The higher I went, the more I could see, and it was awesome. Sitting in this little chair, you know, look, wow, man, unreal. I could see the orange (laughs) funnels of the Queen Mary. I could see the big seaplane of Howard Hughes, the spruce goose with two commercial tugs alongside. Then higher up, the oil tanks of the naval station, like little dots. Catalina Island in the distance. The sea was blue and opaque. I could look up the coast like forever. At one point, I caught sight of a little private plane below me. I could hear the buzz of its propeller. The only sound, the only sound. I had this camera, but I didn't take any pictures. This was something personal. I wanted only the memory of it. That was vivid enough. You know, okay, so it's great he says that because they've done studies where people go to like a museum and they'll have two groups of people. Group one, they are going to look with their eyes and their eyes only and recall as much detail as they can later. Mm -hmm. And they know that this is the assignment. The second group will take photos. And then they have the same group say, okay, recall everything about this painting. What color was the dress? What color was this? What was in the foreground? What was in... And the group that uses their phone fails miserably. Every time. Yeah. So he's like, screw the camera. This I do is... that too. Yeah. Like I, and I love taking pictures, but I'm like, hey, no, no, no. I want to be in this memory. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be taking pictures of like, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I totally agree with him. At 13,000 feet, Larry gets into a conversation on his radio set with an operator from an emergency rescue unit. Because at this point, Carol and the other friend have contacted the FAA and local authorities because they were already supposed to let somebody know that he was in the air because this is L.A. Yeah. Right. Like even in 1982, a bazillion flights are coming in and out. But Could they can't really see him. So on that flight, like people are passing and they have cigarettes in one hand, brandies in the other, like, cause you're still smoking. Right. And they're Mine, just like, yeah, what the, do you see Dolores? That? Look at that. <laughs> do you see, candy, candy, take a peek. Do you see this? Do you see this nonsense? This is, LA is getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> They'll just let anybody into the skies these days. Ugh. At 13,000 feet, when he gets into the conversation, he the operator says what airport did you take off from he asks him again and again several times larry finally gives carol's mother's street address my point of departure was 1633 west 7th street san pedro i like Say how again? that is said now because like you can google maps that mm-hmm. and street yeah. view and the from what i understand the backyard where he took off from was like roughly uh like 30 yards by 10 yards so it's, so it's like, a tiny, tiny yard. Yeah. Yeah. So like for perspective, I really enjoyed knowing that. Uh, the the <clears throat> search and rescue guy says, say again the name of the airport. Could you please repeat? Larry goes on to say, the difficulty is this is an, unla- an unauthorized balloon launch. I know I'm interfering with general airspace. I'm sure my ground crew has alerted the proper authorities, but could you just call them and tell them I'm okay? At one point, he is high enough where a commercial airliner flying into LAX sees them and radios back something to the effect of, we're at 10,000 feet, and there is a man in a lawn chair. And this is the captain. If you'll look off to your left, you'll see something (laughs) I guarantee you you'll never see again. There is a man with a BB gun in his lap 
slamming down natty lights like you wouldn't believe. Please tell everyone involved that these are Coca-Colas. He doesn't want to be seen as a drunk. Captain out. Peace. So he now has reached, for him, what he considers to be maximum height. So he is starting to get cold. His toes are starting to freeze. It's like 10 degrees up there, right? So he shoots out two of the balloons. And he starts to descend. But unfortunately, a gust of wind comes and knocks his chair. Thankfully, not him, but he loses the gun. It goes hurtling towards Earth. I feel like that should have been secured to the chair. That's what he said in hindsight. Like if, I don't know I, why I didn't secure it to the chair. Because <laughs> isn't the ice spot or the ice chest that contains the sandwiches and drinks, isn't that tethered to the chair? Everything but the gun and himself is tethered to the chair. We don't need no seatbelts. Because we don't need no stinking seatbelts. So he starts to cut the jugs of water and anything that he can he can reach. So that wait, he wait. can make his descent. Jugs of water? So he's going to make himself lighter? I'm unsure why he thought this would work, but it eventually did. I mean, physics, I, okay, physics the math says isn't mapping. None of this math maths at all, trust me, because I was like, it's 16,000 feet. You didn't see that coming when you filled up 45 air balloons? I mean, if you're going to cut something, don't cut the weight. I'm thinking, like, because unfortunately I couldn't find any, like, there are stories out there. There's a David Letterman interview with him because he did get, like, to go on the interview circuit afterwards. But for me, I couldn't either watch nor listen to the interview because the quality was so bad. Mm. So I couldn't, I'm I'm still trying to find a source that gives, like, exactly what he did. A couple of them say, like, you know, he's just cutting for things he can reach. He was able to shoot out a few more of the balloons before he dropped the gun. But we know he started cutting the water okay. gallons. But anyway, he is able to descend. He he's he says he is like roughly 300 feet in the air when he's descending, he's descending, he's descending. He can now see the neighborhoods. He can see the rooftops. He gets tangled up in the electrical lines. Of course he does. Thank God from the balloon side, though, not the aluminum chair side. Oh, yeah. You know what? Wait, right? but does aluminum conduct? I just feel like with everything going on, electrocution was definitely an option because you're in live power lines. Like, yeah, yeah, really, what, okay. how, what has to touch it to be an issue, right? And this is California in 1982. So given what we know about how PG&E operates today, we can just safely assume... They were the same was- power lines from way back then. And back then they needed to get replaced. Exactly. So I'm going to read to you Plane and Pilot Magazine having this to say. Instead of making a calm descent into the desert, Inspiration One, which is what Larry dubbed his chair, ended its hour and a half long flight tangled up in the lines at 432 45th Street in Long Beach, resulting in a 20 minute electricity blackout in the area. Larry was arrested and the FFA, unable to revoke the pilot's license, pilot license of a man who didn't even have one, instead slapped him with four hundred with four charges and a four thousand dollar fine. The agency eventually conceded on one of the charges, as it turns out, a lawn chair does not, in fact, require an airworthiness certificate. 
and the fines were reduced to $1,500. That, you know, that's sad because he spent 4000 on this and he got hit with double that in charges. He ended up only having to pay 1500 though, because a lawn chair does not actually need an airworthiness certificate. I mean, there is that. <laughs> and he hap- this is the funniest part to me. The house of like the yard he landed in or nearby was a there was a gentleman in his like chaise lounge out by his pool reading the paper minding his business when all of a sudden he sees this pair of feet float over him he looks up and he's like hey buddy you okay he was an off-duty pilot wow (laughs) yep i mean could you imagine having that much calmness to be like hey man are you all right as as opposed to being like what the i mean i would have i'd blown a gasket i would have been the dude okay like i've wow okay this is the difference between you and i like (laughs) when in doubt panic i mean i'm gonna panic eventually like i'm gonna panic when i'm retelling the story (laughs) i mean as soon as you got the the power lines it'd be like all right Teresa, reporting to duty how can i get you down oh that's you know i'm gonna google if that's if that's conductive hold on don't touch that yet um, can you just stop wiggling? Because I need to Google some things. Because that's exactly what I would have said. Look, man, you okay? Don't move. Let me just... Let me just... What, do you, what do you mean you don't have a seatbelt? <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Well, Living your best life there, Larry. Inspiration um, 2 needs to have some safety upgrades. But on that note, just maintain. Right. Okay. So he actually gave the chair to some kid, like, while he was waiting in the back of the cop car or whatever. Some kid was walking by and he's like, hey, man, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's my chair. You can have it. And he gave the kid the chair. But that's a hundred dollar chair. I don't know what Larry was thinking at the time, but I'm really glad he did it because the chair ended up in the Smithsonian Aeronautic Museum. Oh, no, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. And you can still see it like you can still go see it today. The legacy of this, because I realized one of my favorite things about doing this podcast at least for me in my research is the legacy of what happened yeah cluster ballooning becomes a thing uh from a delightful video i watched on youtube from the qxir channel i learned this in 2008 a brazilian catholic priest in order to raise funds for a spiritual rest stop for are you ready truck drivers which is what larry's career was at after his military time flew a cluster of balloons he unfortunately did not survive his mission oh kent couch in 2007 flew across oregon and into idaho 240 miles in 2010 jonathan trapp crossed the english channel which i think is amazing <laughs> in 2015 daniel bonilla flew around calgary canada and tom Morgan. And flew around South Africa in 2017. And I think the fact that, like, Lawn Chair Larry woke up one morning with a need to fly and figured out how to do it, even if he couldn't be a pilot, he decided Lawn Chair and Air Balloons, Weather Balloons, is the way to go and did it. And then every other here hold my beer man across the planet was like, I can figure out how to do this better, has started a trend. I mean, okay, and it's so that's, amazing. That's the thing, though, right? You stand on the shoulders of giants. 
absolutely and i'm gonna send you a picture of both lawn chair larry and his lawn chair because let me tell you this man was at least in my opinion a larger than life individual and i would have loved to be able to hear what he did like his old man stories unfortunately he didn't live past 1993 when he wrote sat down with george to write the interview for the new yorker he gave the whole interview and then called George a couple of weeks later and asked him to not publish it because he was afraid that it would ruin his ability to go on any kind of interview or lecture circuit. Mm. So George waited until after he died, which I think is really cool for the, for the sake of journalism to let this man tell his own story. Yeah. Um, but I'm very sad that he didn't live into like old man status. Cause I would have loved to have seen what he did as an old man too. <laughs> I would have loved to have had somebody tell him like, look, this is called publicity. You need this. You want to speak at more places, bigger places. You want to get more keynote money. This is what you do. Not only do you need this article, you need to have many articles lined up to publish. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's my delightful story about Launcher Larry and his Long Beach launch into aeronautics. (laughs) See, I love that you retold that story because I would have never revisited it and I wouldn't have had all of the additional detail that you brought. It's such a fun story. And this was okay. So this was the day um, I got my surgery done. So I couldn't watch TV. I could only listen to it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm facing Ian away from the TV, folding laundry, trying so hard not to turn and look at what they're talking about. So I was like, okay, take notes, take notes. So I can like barely, because the way my surgery worked, like any in entering light was really hard to work with. Angie had eye surgery, Lasix for those playing at home. Sorry, I should have said that. Uh, That first day, the first few days actually, which is why my week has been so chaotic, using my phone was difficult. So I'm like typing in my notes category, lawn chair, Larry, Google lawn chair, Larry. I have no idea what they actually look like because I've not gone back and revisited that notes section. I just remembered his name. That's amazing. (laughs) It was delightful. It was a great way to spend being blind for a few hours. That's all I'm going to say. I'm here for it. Me too. So that's, that's lawn chair, Larry, in his trip to the FFA hearing. FAA here and I keep getting FFA and FAA confused. One is the Future Farmers of America. <laughs> the other he didn't, is not. He didn't go to that hearing. No, he did not. And to inseminate <laughs> a cow. He did not take the cow with him on his flight. Because that would have been the first. Well, you don't want to cut a cow. That would be sad. Just to, you know, watch it. I don't want to think about that. Okay, anyhow, moving on. Jeez, thanks, Teresa. I was hoping the cow was harnessed to the chair. Well, I mean, it would have been, but then... You know, if you're trying to get higher, you've got to cut the weight. And anyhow, these are things. These these are things. Um, all right. Well, if you've appreciated this delightful mashup of Lawn Chair Larry and the Dublin Whiskey Fire, and you're thinking, good grief, what are they gonna do next week? <laughs> it's gonna be really boring. Just kidding. I mean I don't think we could ever do anything boring. Yeah, because it's literally what what did you think was interesting this week? Um, so if you, if you're liking this rate review, subscribe, you know, mash that subscribe button and, and then compulsively share it with your, with your mother and your dog walker, because those are the two people that we're, we're most targeting. 
if your mother is your dog walker, send it to her twice. Yeah, she's going to say, figure out how to make it to her twice. (laughs) But on that note, thanks for listening. And if you got stories that you're like, oh my gosh, they really need to cover blank, let us know. Yes. Unhinged.historypod at gmail.com. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.